MGM presents Westworld. Your attention, please. We will soon be landing at Westworld, the ultimate resort. We have you on grid five, over. It consists of three worlds of the past. Locking in now. Worlds where you can live out your every fantasy. There's Roman world, the lusty, decadent delights of Imperial Pompeii. Notify ground crews. Medieval world, chivalry and combat in 13th century Europe. And Westworld, lawless violence on the American frontier of the 1880s. Each resort is maintained by reliable computer technology and peopled by lifelike robot men and women. Let's stand by for resort activation. Ready on six, on five, on four, on three, on two. Activate now. Our robots are programmed to provide you with an unforgettable vacation. Dinner at seven, breakfast at 6.30. Get lunch on your own. Don't look like much here, but we have everything. You mean to tell me he's a robot? What'll it be? Uh, vodka martini on the rocks with a twist of lemon. Very dry, please. Just give him whiskey. He's new in town. Many elements of the Delos Resort are potentially dangerous. That's part of the appeal. Go on. You say something, boy. Kill him. Your move. Our technology is designed to provide all this in complete safety. In Westworld, frustrations find release. Desire ends in satisfaction. Let me handle it. And all in a controlled environment. That's not supposed to happen. We know you'll enjoy your stay in Westworld. Hold it. The ultimate resort. Let me do it this time. Where nothing... Nothing can possibly go wrong. I'm shot. Go wrong. Raw. Go wrong. Oh, my God. Shut down. Shut down immediately. Westworld from MGM. Starring Yul Brynner. Richard Benjamin and James Brolin. Westworld, the ultimate resort. Boy, do we have a vacation for you. For you. For you. For you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program where we pit the movies that we review up against the Jaws scale and see where it lands. I'm Paul Spitaro, and today I am joined by my Listen to the Prophets compadres, Dr. Bill Robinson. <laughs> you know, I had a piffy comment, but I totally lost it because it's too early. Something in the programming was off. Yeah, that's it. And we're joined by Sir Andrew Leyland. I'm Yul Brynner, and I'm dead now. Well, that was about what I was going to say, but I was just going to do one of his lines, but I went, he really didn't say much. He didn't say a lot. Except, you know... I would, I would have I given the sloppy with your drink. Yeah, that's what I was trying to like... <laughs> he boy. needs his mama. Yeah, that's it. He needs his mama. <laughs> and that so pretty today, much consisted of his dialogue. Today we join you to discuss the 1973 science fiction movie, Westworld. And 
Westworld stars Yul Brenner, and realistically, that's all it stars. But there's also Richard Benjamin and James Brolin, and and a cast of other TV level personalities such as Dick Van Patten and people of that ilk. Mm. This was a movie that I hey, saw Doctor Strange before, was in this movie too, you know. Which Doctor Strange? Uh, the TV Doctor Strange. He was one of the controller guys. I don't, even, I don't and, remember who played Doctor Strange. Uh, the was it Jared Martin? Something like that. Yeah. Ah. No, Jared. Jared Martin didn't play Doctor Strange. Jared Martin was Harrison Blackwood on War of the Worlds. Yeah, but he also played Doctor Strange in the TV movie. I swear he did. I'll look it up. You guys, vamp, vamp. Keep talking. Well, while you're looking it up, I'm going to give it a plot. We'll get right into this. Okay. In the then-future year of 1983, a high-tech, highly realistic adult amusement park called Delos features three themed worlds. Westworld, the American Old West, Medieval World, Medieval Europe, and Roman World, the ancient Roman city of Pompeii. The resort's three worlds are populated with lifelike androids that are practically indistinguishable from human beings, each programmed in character for their assigned historical environment. For $1,000 a day, guests may indulge in any adventure with the android population of the park, including sexual encounters and even a fight to the death. Delos's tagline in its advertising promises, boy, have we got a vacation for you. Peter Martin, Richard Benjamin, a first-time Delos visitor, and his friend John Blaine, James Brolin, on a repeat visit, go to Westworld. One of the attractions is a gunslinger, Yul Brenner, a robot programmed to instigate gunfights. The firearms issued to the park guests have temperature sensors that prevent them from shooting human beings or anything with a high body temperature, but allow them to kill the cold-blooded androids. The gunslinger's programming allows guests to draw their guns and kill it, with the robot always returning the next day for another duel. The technicians running Delos notice problems beginning to spread like an infection among the androids. The robots in Roman world and medieval world begin experiencing an increasing number of breakdowns and systematic failures, which are said to have spread to Westworld. When one of the supervising computer scientists scoffs at the analogy of an infectious disease, he is told by the chief supervisor, Alan Oppenheimer, which is Rudy Wells, we aren't dealing with, any ordin with ordinary machines here. These are highly complicated pieces of equipment, almost as complicated as living organisms. In some cases, they've been designed by other computers. We don't know exactly how they work. The malfunctions become more serious when a robotic rattlesnake bites Blaine in Westworld, and against its programming, an android refuses a guest's advances in Medieval World. The failures escalate until Medieval World's Black Knight robot kills a guest in a sword fight. The resort supervisors try to regain control by shutting down power to the entire park. However, the shutdown traps them in central control when the doors automatically lock, unable to turn the power back on and escape. Meanwhile, the robots in all three worlds run amok operating on reserve power. Martin and Blaine, recovering from a drunken barroom brawl, wake up in Westworld's Bordello, unaware that the, of the park's massive breakdown. When the gunslinger challenges the men to a showdown, Blaine treats the confrontation as an amusement until the robot outdraws, shoots, and mortally wounds him. 
Martin runs for his life and the robot implacably follows. Martin flees to the other areas of the park, but finds only dead guests, damaged robots, and a panicked technician attempting to escape Delos, who is shortly thereafter shot by the gunslinger. Martin climbs through a manhole in Roman world into the underground control complex and discovers that the resort's computer technicians suffocated in the control room when the ventilation system shut down. The gunslinger stalks him through the underground corridors, so he runs away until he enters a robot repair lab. When the gunslinger comes into the room, Martin pretends to be a robot, throws acid in its face, and flees, returning to the surface inside the medieval world castle. With its optical inputs damaged by the acid, the gunslinger is unable to track him visually and tries to find Martin using its infrared scanners. Martin stands beneath the flaming torches of the Great Hall to mask his presence from the robot, before setting it on fire with one of the torches. The burned shell of the gunslinger attacks him on the dungeon steps before succumbing to its damage. Martin sits on the dungeon steps in a state of near exhaustion and shock as the irony of Delos' slogan resonates. Boy, have we got a vacation for you. Now that synopsis leaves off the tagline where nothing can go wrong, which was the big one in the uh, in the advertising of the day. I saw this in the movies when it first came out, when, Bill, you were just a wee lad, and, and Andy, you were just uh, a thought in your parents' minds. 73? Yeah. I just popped out. He came up, hello! <laughs> I, want to go see, I want to go see Westworld. <laughs> I popped out and said, can we go see Westworld, Mummy? And Mummy said no. I saw this. Oh, get back in there, you're not done. Not only did I see this in the movies, I think I saw it in the movies like three or four times. I was totally taken with this movie at the time. And not too much has changed since then, actually. Uh, how did you guys first get introduced to it? Uh, I remember seeing this on TV. And I remember it it being the first time I had seen quote-unquote blood from somebody being shot. Now, whether or not that special effect still holds up today <laughs> is another story, but back then I was like, oh my god. That's that's so horrible. This is ultra-violent. Well, it actually yeah, is oh. kind of violent. I shouldn't make fun of it. Oh, it is violent, but I mean, but the way, you know, it kind of looks like, uh, I don't know, like some thick, some delicious syrup coming out of there or something. It's so red. Sparkling red. <laughs> Shiny red. 70s. But no, it was... Blood. These are awesome. Yeah. But, uh, and I didn't really know who Yule Brenner was, so he scared the hell out of me. Later, I would find he would be the Pharaoh, and he would scare the hell out of me again <laughs> in the Ten Commandments. <laughs> but then he'd rescue you, what you we're talking about. in Seven, and you'd start to like him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw this late night on TV somewhere, probably in the very early 80s, because uh, science fiction movies were always banished to the late night slot just after UK TV went 24 hours, which was about 1982. So they would always show science fiction movies as part of nighttime uh, on ITV. And um, this was one of them that was on constant rotation, along with like Planet of the Apes and the Omega Man and, you know, that, that, that era which is where I probably saw a lot of 70s, uh, 70s movies. I was blown away by this. I absolutely loved it. I loved it the first time I saw it. I still love it. I think there's a number of things that contribute. One, it's 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 very 
methodical in its storytelling, but it's only 80 minutes, isn't it? So it, mm-hmm. it is. It's so it is quick. Yeah. yeah. So it, it gets to the point straight away, and the story's underway very quickly. There's very little fluff or padding. It's hard to think nowadays this wouldn't be two and a half hours, and I don't know that it needs two and a half hours. Uh, the second thing that really struck me when I first watched it was I would have put money on Richard Benjamin being the one that got killed, not James Brolin. And the fact that Crichton kills the handsome leading man and lets the slightly gawky one be the hero was was revelatory at that point because you just you didn't see that you don't see that now. Very rarely do they kill off the main bod or what you think is going to be the main bod that quickly because I think James Brolin had a slightly higher star profile than Richard Benjamin did. So that mm. was that was just great. Uh, James Rowland at the time was in Marcus Welby as the young Buck Doctor along with Robert Young. So he, he had pretty much, you know, very much recognizability done... at that time. Oh, so I guess they hadn't done Capricorn 1. I think this, this predates Capricorn 1. I think Capricorn 1 is around okay. 76, I would guess off mm. the top of my head. Uh, but, but he was a known actor to me. Richard Benjamin was more of a that guy, as far as I was concerned. Like, I recognized him, but I didn't know from what. And he definitely... Yeah, about this time, or... It was about this time, or a few years later, he played on a short-lived NBC... I think it was NBC um, TV... Sci-fi TV show, I think it was called Quark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a comedy. Where he was like a... He was an interstellar garbage man. I mean, he had some movies out around this time as well, but he was, I think he was lesser known to a young crowd, at least. Um, but like I said, he, he was, they were both recognizable. And when you think about it from a storytelling point of view, having the larger, more handsome, more capable leading man as the guy up against the robot is less intriguing than having the, you know, the, the nerdy, less confident, less knowledgeable guy up against him. So I think that was the right move to make, too. But, but I, I agree with what you're saying. It just doesn't seem going in that that's going to be what gonna hap- what's going to happen. This is probably equivalent in its own strange way to, you know, killing off Janet Lee at the beginning of Psycho. Hmm. Oops, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, it, it, is, it, it was quite remarkable. And I still think it's quite, quite remarkable that they did it when I watched it the other day. I think everybody's performance in it is perfectly judged. It's very straight in that only our lead characters have names. Even when you look in the credits, they're all just called Chief Technician, First Technician. So we're only interested in in James Brolin and Richard Benjamin. Um, This isn't passing any modern tests. All the women are whores. (laughs) So so this isn't getting rated very highly in Entertainment Weekly and uh, in its its promotion of, of women. But all of the characters in it, that's not the point of this film. The whole point of this film is is another one of, um, of um, I keep wanting to call him John Crichton, but he's from Farscape, isn't it? <laughs> yes, this is no, Michael, Michael Crichton. This is Michael Crichton. Oh, this is astronaut John Crichton, and I wrote Westworld. <laughs> I wrote and what? Westworld. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's doing another one of his, his technology run amok fables that he would also do in, in Jurassic Park. But again, watching this, um, Paul mentioned this in his synopsis, what I thought was really amusing was Alan Oppenheimer was the chief technician. He was Dr. <laughs> Rudy Wells in The Six Million Dollar Man. So it doesn't take much imagination to extrapolate that he took his bionics and went and built Westworld. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it's, uh, you know, well, he, he is 
kind of prototypical for that role. You know, he he is it. it you know, we need a chief scientist guy. <laughs> you know, get Alan Oppenheimer. Yeah, and he's he's good at what he has to do, and you can actually see mm-hmm. all the the seeds that the TV show was run with are all in the film. They're all there. It's just the TV show's got ten hours to explore the ideas, whereas the the movies are can is a, a very compact and enjoyable 80 minutes. Right, well, this, this has... Yeah, I, haven't a, seen, quite, I haven't seen the TV show yet. So. This has quite a bit of uh, spin-off stuff. I mean, there, there was a TV show in the 70s, which I have no familiarity with at all, honestly, but I do know there was a TV show. I don't think it lasted very long at all. Uh, there was also... Are you sure it was a TV show or... Oh, okay, so you're about to there say... There was also a Because I remember... Future World, which was, right, in my memory, terrible. Which supposedly, from what I remember, had the gunslinger robot was now the janitor. Like, they used his his uh, form, whatever, and reprogrammed him as a janitor? Or am I mis- misremembering that? I honestly couldn't tell you. He was like a maintenance years droid. Ago, and I don't remember exactly what happened. I just remember it being incredibly boring. Uh, see, weirdly, for as much as I love Westworld, and I do, I have never seen the sequel. And the TV show, Paul's exactly right, short-lived is the perfect name for it. It ran for five episodes. It was called Beyond Westworld Beyond in, Westworld, in 1980. Yeah. Apparently the pilot movie is on the Blu-ray for the Westworld film. So that may be nice to, to see if there was anything interesting about it. I don't know if there was. Mm-hmm. If it lasted five episodes, it can't have lasted a while. It can't have uh, developed into anything interesting. Oh, well, Connie Selica was in it. Oh. Was she uh, she one of the the sex bots? It seems like that's what all the women were. Uh, I have no idea because I've never seen this show. Oh, oh my god! Did you know? I just want to bring that up real quick. That scene where um, Richard Benjamin gets his groove on, <laughs> and then and then you know he's with the sex bot, and all of a sudden she opens her eyes, and they've got that 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 glossed over silver contact lens thing going on and it's just like oh god oh. <laughs> yeah, this is another one of those things that's responsible for my eternal terror people's faces falling off I hated it when they did it in Doctor Who the androids, um, I think it was the android invasion it was a Tom Baker one and the oh. bots did this all the time the face would just fall off and that freaked me oh. the hell out as a kid yeah, that that didn't disturb me. I remember thinking that was cool, and and I mean it's such a uh, a simple effect when they do it. You have Yul Brenner laying on a table with with a line drawn around his face to delineate where mm-hmm. the mask edges are. Then you have a hand or a body block the camera, and they remove that mask while the, the body's blocking the camera, and then you see the very unrealistic looking Yul Brenner robot with the face removed. <laughs> But you know, in wait, how come it's so much bigger in there now? I don't get it. In 1973, it. you know, that was fine. Mm. You know, especially you know at, at whatever I was, 10 years old when I was watching this. But oh, no, wait a minute, it was in November. I was 11. I was old. <laughs> now I'm, I'm going yeah. to go to my biggest pet peeve in the movie from a review point of view and see what you guys have to say about it. Why is it that of all the robots at the resort? Only Yul Brynner acts like a robot. Uh, see, with, I, uh, I can... Go ahead, Andy. I was going to oh. say, I, I didn't get that he acted like a robot. I just got the impression that he was just 
being a very taciturn, stiff. He walks in, yes, I think he... people. It's only afterwards that he kind of starts acting robotic and becomes Terminator. I mean, following on, similar along similar lines, but I didn't have that problem with it. Why, after he's been reprogrammed, does he immediately go for revenge against Richard Benjamin? Unless that is a subtle hint that something's wrong with the robot's programming. Yeah, like they're gaining sentience yeah, and he's after holding his, a grudge. After he shoots him in the bar and he goes back and he gets his mind wiped and sent back out, surely he should have no memory of what happened. But the first well, thing that... Robot Yulbrenner does is go after Richard Benjamin. And that's something they're exploring on the TV series, mm. which uh, the TV series, HBO series that's currently on is 10 episodes. Uh, I've seen the first seven, and the last three have been sitting on my DVR for however many months since they've aired, uh, and I haven't had a chance to watch them yet. So I don't know where the story is going to go from there. Uh, but they're definitely playing with the aspect of it where these robots have some memory that is not expected to be there or is, is not programmed to be there and how it's affecting their future activities. So well, clearly I mean, we're if, on the road to things he, going wrong on that show. I mean, the way I understand the way memory in any computer works is that you don't, you don't really, well, unless you do like a complete, complete wipe you know, with a magnet, if you just re if you just erase something, you're not fully erasing it. There's still you're just writing over it. Mm, yeah. So there's still until that other stuff gets gets completely written over in on on the on the on, on the hard drive, that information is still there. So when you're dealing with something this complex, if you have these little ones and zeros that are still sticking around. And a certain code, you know, it could develop after over time into something else. Now, my computer Maybe, I don't know. sophistication is not quite at the level to answer this question, but I would pose to you that at this time, the when this movie is being written and, and made, uh, wasn't the memory for computers usually maintained on tape as opposed to on disks as they currently are? Yeah, but I think this is still, well, you know, they're... Projecting into the yeah, future. Yeah, and that's and that's where I was going to go with that. Is is this something where Michael Crichton would have seen? This is where the technology is going, and I already understand this. Or is this him predicting that it's going to go there, which would be phenomenal? <laughs> or is it just a happy accident? I think it's one of those hmm. three, and I, I don't know because hmm. I don't know if computer technology had advanced to the point where they were aware of this technology, but it just wasn't public yet. Or if they were still just, just doing everything on tapes and he's, like, predicting the future here, if he had that in mind. And we'll never know because Michael Cotton... Well, this is 73. And, yeah. I mean, I remember I was using floppy drives in the 80s. So, and even but floppy that drives, still... I don't think those were re-recordable, were they? I thought once you put something on a floppy, that was it. No, you could format uh, it and put stuff back yeah. on. But okay. Bill, Bill's yeah. right. It, the stuff was still retrievable with the right software. As it still is today, it's how the police go over people's hard drives when they formatted them. I think I think it's more of a difference in understanding uh, of how technology would develop. The robots in the series were very much leading towards this: have we created an artificial artificial intelligence kind of thing? Have we created something with sentience? And at which point it's that old Star Trek question: at which point does data become a human? Whereas the mm -hmm. robots in the film have a very specific role. Yul Brynner's robot job is to be the bad guy who the gunslinger has a fight with and shoots. And so when everything malfunctions, that's his mission. 
Yul Brynner's robot in this movie is not at all interested in self-awareness. He has just become what he is programmed to be. Whereas the TV show is dealing very much with the idea of have we created something where it comes to the point of being a self-aware creature. Therefore, when we take it away and wipe its mind at the end of it, are we committing some kind of Highness Professor X type act? And that's, that's not where this film's interests lie. This film is much more interested in do we have the right to create the technology and will it bite us in the arse? It's more of a technology run and mock thing than creating a technology that become surpasses what we create. See, I think I think you're onto something there, but I don't I don't even think it's as sophisticated as asking, do we have the right to create this? I think it just asks the, the second question: Is you know, are we going to just go too far and have it bite us in the ass? I don't think mm. they even explore the should we. I think we get to Jurassic Park before that question arises. Yeah, yeah. It, it, Jurassic Park is, you can tell that this idea stuck with Crichton and it percolated around in his head for another 10 years. And then An amusement he, park from hell. Yeah. And all of the ideas that perhaps he didn't have the, um, not the foresight, not the intelligence, he didn't have the experience to question in Westworld by the time <coughs> excuse me by the time Jurassic Park comes around he's got the knowledge and experience to start questioning it more and right. the Jurassic Park idea is more of a fully formed version of this but there is just something fun about this idea that we have created these hedonistic playlands which is essentially what they are when the guy is the news reporter is interviewing them at the beginning that woman can Burly keep it in her pants that she went to Roman world to have a week of shagging. That's what she went there for. Which makes it a mutual uh, experience as far as that goes, because we, we've already hit upon the fact that it was kind of misogynistic that all the women in, 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 all the women robots are basically well, the, sex the, spots. I think the flip side of that, mm. to defend the film slightly on that, because I do see an awful lot of criticism about the women in this are just sex spots, we only saw Westworld. We didn't really see a lot of the other worlds. And the one woman robot that we did see in medieval world was a queen. Well, so we that, did, and we did hmm. see the woman guest, I believe, in Roman world hmm. who wanted to be rescued, you know, was playing yeah. the damsel in distress, but was also getting her own robot whoopee. Yeah. So it goes to that question is just because your sexual predilections may lean towards domination or BDSM or whatever does not mean what you that's what you are in real life. And maybe that's just the fantasy and the West world, future world, medieval world is giving people the opportunity to go and live out those fantasies in a perfectly acceptable uh, way. Yeah, well, if the message of the movie is that people are driven by sexual drive, uh, mm. message sent and correct... Yeah. It's very, very much the case with many, many people. Because so. I, I did find it interesting that the, the one woman with the great speaking part is her at the beginning, and she's very clear about what she went to Roman world for. You know, that was her holiday. <laughs> now, and, you know, aside, you know, that's her choice, for Platinum. You know, what they did in the movie aside, if you had an opportunity to go to one of these three places, where would you go? Westworld. Hmm. Yeah, Andy answered it definitively and quickly, and <laughs> I kind of think the same way, because, you know, I'm the same as anybody else. The sex spots would be nice, but I would also like to just 
quick draw and shoot Buell Brenner every once in a while. Yeah. I don't really want to um, have a sword fight. See, as, I'd be much more inclined as, to go and rob a few banks or trains. I don't want to be a good guy. As long as I could go back and shag um, that era, Magil Barrett. Oh, yeah, Magil, Magil Barrett is um, <laughs> Thandie Newton, isn't she? Thandie Newton plays Magil Barrett's part in the show, the, the queen of the cat oh. house. So, yeah, Magil Barrett's the, the girl that Richard Benjamin gets off with was in an episode of Batman. I think she was one of... Yeah, I thought she looked familiar. She was either the yeah. Joker's mall or, or, or one of them, the Riddler, I can't remember which Yeah, she's, she's the one that gave the, the, the dead silver yeah. eyes when... Well, that, the, uh, I, I was intrigued by that on a number of levels. One, um, James Brolin's character at the beginning says the only way you can tell the difference is the hands, but clearly their eyes glow silver. And in Blade Runner, the replicant's eyes glow red. And I just wondered if Blade Runner was a nod to mm. Westworld. Because Blade Runner is taking the idea of Westworld, isn't it? And Blade Runner does take it that step further, that we've created artificial yeah. life. So, But we knew we were doing it in Blade Runner, which is why we built in uh, a death date. Yeah, and it gave them false memories of a child mm. and everything else. So I just thought, I wondered if that was a nod to Westworld, that their eyes do something silly. But uh, hmm. I, I love Richard Benjamin's reaction to that. I just thought that was really fun when he goes to James Brolin and says, this place is great. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we should talk more about Yul Brynner as well. Yul Brynner's brilliant in this. And it is there is a lot of comparisons to be made to the Terminator in that he doesn't have a lot of line of dialogue. Yet, without saying a word, he still dominates every scene he's in. Well, he's programmed as a killing machine. That's what his job mm. is. Although his job is to lose. Yes. Until until he overcomes his programming. Wrong. Mm. Yeah. And this, I, I, yeah. I think he's brilliant in this. I mean, he's he's dressed the same as Chris from the Magnificent Seven, which isn't subtle. But I I love I love <laughs> Yul Brynner in this. I think Yul Brynner is absolutely brilliant in it. And as as an eleven year old, he was terrifying. Hmm. Well, he was terrified in the Magnificent Seven, even though he was a good guy. <laughs> oh no! See, we, I didn't think he was terrifying in the Magnificent Seven at all. We need to cover that one day. But uh, we do. You know, he was in, in the Magnificent Seven. He was the you know, get behind me, I'll protect you guy. He was not, you know, he was the come with me if you want to live. Yeah. He, he wasn't the terrifying guy at all, in my opinion. But we'll talk Magnificent Seven some other day. Uh, in this, he just the relentless nature and and. Uh, the music in this is credited to friend, Fred Carlin. I'm not particularly familiar with him. I should click on him and see what else he's done. But I thought it was very effective, especially in like the the scenes. It's very. It's 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 kind of campy with like some of the, with the you know when the fight breaks out in the bar and the, you know there's that you know it's like a typical Western hoedown type thing. But then when it goes to the where the Yul Brenner stalking music, it's very, uh, it's 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 got a lot of strings to it, that are kind of distorted sounding or you know, very very eerie. yeah, very it really catches your attention. There's a very discordant sound to the soundtrack in the last half. But I, th I think mm -hmm. he he combined kind of the almost stereotypical Western sound with mm. a mechanical feel. But do and you I think, think that's perfect? Yeah, that's clearly deliberate. Yeah, totally agree. Mm -hmm. And the first half of the film is supposed to be a romp. These guys are on holiday. And I love the idea that they, they were in the cat house and they could go out and stop the robbery or they could stay with the, the sex bots and these both choose to stay with the sex bots. <laughs> that could be fun. This is yeah. more 
Yeah, this is more fun. Yeah, and I, I think that the score perfectly captures the mid-tone twist. It goes to what what Paul was saying earlier on about the death of James Brolin being the Janet Lee moment with the film. This doesn't become a different film like Psycho does, but it becomes something different in the middle of it than it was at the beginning. And it's James Brolin's death that does that. And the score, like Bill pointed out, changes at the midpoint of the film. Because, yeah, the first half, the first half's just one of those rompy westerns that you watched that were probably made in the early 60s and maybe had James Garner in. And then when you, by the time you get to the back half, it's become something completely different. Now, I would, I would feel remiss yeah. if I didn't point out the fact that the technician he runs into in the uh, desert, and, uh, you know, he, he's one of these guys who you're like, oh, yeah, I've seen him on a you know, bunch of sitcoms in the 60s and 70s. I know this guy. But watching this movie... I, I was shocked when I looked him up and found out that he is not the father of the actor who plays Howard on The Big Bang Theory, because he is he is so much the same guy. You know, it's funny you say that, because I swore that that guy is the same actor who gets shot by Christopher Lloyd in Star Trek Three when the guy says, you know, you know, when he's shooting at the... Um, um, the the Federation science vessel, and he's like, oh, oh, lucky shot, and then he he pulls out his blaster and he just disintegrates him. Just by the way, his eyes look. But I looked it up; it's a completely different actor. I was wrong. And Peter Hooten played Doctor Strange on TV. Mm, hear a who? Not Jared. Peter Hooten. Hooten hears a who? Oh, <laughs> God, oh my God! I can't believe I fell for that. So, but they look a lot alike because they had a they 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 had a '70s fro, and they both had similar facial structure. Mm. It's not my fault. I mean, there is a little <laughs> subplot that is nothing to do with our two main characters over in Medieval World, where we first see one of the guys that he wants to be king getting run through by the <laughs> knight, which is was quite violent for the time. Really, he's just a middle-aged man. Yeah. Who wants to have a little fun away from his uh, wife while she's off? She didn't she go to Roman world or did she go to medieval world too? I, I don't remember. She may be because I think we see because they do a close up of a woman later in the Roman world, and I think it was his wife. Yeah, I think they may have gone their separate ways when they arrived at the resort, so they could indulge themselves. <laughs> a little bit of a little bit of swinging going on with the robots. Whatever happens in Delos stays, stays in, in Delos. Delos. <laughs> That it, yeah, I mean, the movie the movie opens up, or well, you open up with the commercial, but then the first you see of our main actors, they're on that uh, shuttle, mm. and that is that's definitely made to be, uh, you know, the very futuristic, you know, this is what it's going to be right, like. That's right, because the day. guy had, the guy had big shiny sunglasses mm. that reflected everything in I did, I, their pilot. I thought it was interesting about that. They made no effort to make anything look futuristic, though. The clothes are clearly 1973. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. When they get off, they look like airline hostesses. But I think that's the, that's of the, the era. only thing that's made to look futuristic is the shuttle, and when they first come in, the you know, like kind of the port area, which is looking very much like an airport. Mm. That's the only stuff, and and oh, and the you know the lab where they're doing the technology stuff. But even that's not particularly sophisticated. <laughs> okay, speaking of the lab, I had forgot when they were so. I would say that the movie takes a turn, or you kind of see the, you know, you peek behind the curtain the the first night after the guys are there, and then the lights come on in the street, 
the trucks roll out, the little guys come out, they're picking up all the bodies in the, in, in the road, they're throwing them in the back of trucks. Mm. And then later they're on like an assembly line rolling in to be repaired. And the and what really struck me funny horse. is the horse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I wonder later, did the horse gain some type of sense, you know, like, hey, I'm tired of you guys riding on my back. You know, Go my back, like, man. Like we had a, we, we had a Mr. Ed. You know, hey, well, get off of it, me. It, it surprised me, and it still does to some extent, that they, they went as far as to say, like, even the rattlesnakes were robotic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that, that that's how under control the plan was. And I think that's that's a nice story point to throw that in. Not just the fact that, you know, it, it bites James Brolin and you know something's going wrong, but just to show you the extent of control that they have over what's going on, which, when you think about it, is kind of creepy. When you're using these things as like sex bots or whatever, that means they're kind of those technicians are kind of in there with you watching <laughs> when you're doing stuff. Yeah, because they're yeah because when the the one guy goes and makes his advances toward the the medieval one, and she's like you know she spurns his advances, and and they're like oh we got a problem with one in sector twelve uh, yeah we got to bring that one in. <laughs> it's like these guys are watching everything. Yeah, that's that's I think the aspect of this that that wouldn't fly that you wouldn't want to go and and you know with knowledge of the fact that that's going on. Well, I think it's interesting as well that the, the worlds were chosen because they had cheap backlots to film in. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, given the mm. choice, Jurassic Park was more along the lines of what he would have done with an unlimited budget. Because I, in my head, my head canon is Jurassic Park is just the fourth world of Delos. Yeah, that's true. Uh, now, yeah. I think, you know, going back to the technician that he runs into, I think that that little bit of writing there by Crichton is really effective on two levels. It's great exposition of, you know, when he starts telling him, you know, you can't kill him, he can't be done, this is what you need to do, blah, 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 and it's still not going to work. It does that as far as just giving you more of an understanding of how undefeatable the Yul Brenner robot is mm. and, and it, mm-hmm. it ramps up the fear a little bit or the you know the horror aspect of it but it also gives you a little bit of Chekhov's gun because he talks about throwing acid in its face mm-hmm. and which which is eventually really what does him in even though yeah good luck buddy I gotta get away on my golf cart see you <laughs> and boom gone <laughs> <laughs> I've delivered my lines now I'm dead <laughs> I, I got a kick out of Dick Van Patten in this when he becomes the sheriff. And he's talking like this. <laughs> it's a new sheriff in town. He and, he and he goes to go back in the in, in into the sheriff's office and he can't get the door open. They're all just standing there looking at him. Uh, so right. where was, where where, was where, we? Where? <laughs> I don't know. Where was we? Oh. Mm. Uh, shoot, that's a good question. Damn. Hmm. I know we were talking about a, we talked about the horse. We did talk about the we horse. We talked about the whores and the horse. The whores, the the the, the whoring horses. By the hoary hosts of Hogarth. <laughs> Anybody listening? We had just had to take a break because of life, and we're back again. So what? We were on a break. <laughs> what else have we got here? I, I would touch on the fact that Michael Crichton not only wrote this, but he directed it. Mm. Uh, 
he uh, I thought he had a deft hand for a guy who I think had very little experience directing at this point in his career. And, and he and did very little to, money to work with. Well, this was made on a budget of $1.25 million, according to Wikipedia, uh, which I think is hmm. probably uh, about normal for a movie of this nature at this point. Yeah, I was just trying to think of like some of the special effects, but really it was just... There was nothing really groundbreaking in the special effects realm. No, there was nothing. There was so, nothing that they weren't doing so, on the six million dollar man. Well, six million dollar yeah, man. Yeah, so was it here. was a very. Uh, mm. was it? I thought the pilot for six mil was seventy three. Was it seventy four? Was it seventy four? So that would have been just after this. Right. So maybe man. this gave them what they could do with the six million dollar man then. Because one of the things that's amusing about looking at Westworld is the very low-tech future that they've got. Like when the robots pop up and it's all, all soldering boards with little little thingios on yeah. them instead of any anything even remotely resembling technology. Mm-hmm. You know, a nice touch I saw that where when they took the face off and the um, where the mouth was was just like that metal tube that came out. Yeah, like up. an audio speaker kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw that. Too. I guess I like you. That. But then I was thinking, well, how would you get oral sex from that? Ew. I mean, first of all, that was maybe your the brand. sex. Bu- <laughs> yeah, but they will have all had the same. Stroke. Perhaps, perhaps it was a different mechanism for. I get. I would hope so, because that you know, wow, why is it so cold in there? Oh my god. Oh. The, the places your mind goes, Bill. <laughs> maybe that costs extra. It's cold in there. Deep. It's, it's deep, too. And loud. Now I'm dreaming. <laughs> oh, you've been deep-throated. <laughs> did, 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 did he write that, too? No, <laughs> no. no, I don't think John Crichton wrote that. <laughs> well, John Crichton might have. Oh, Michael Crichton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think... Speaking of which, quick... Quick side tangent: Did you did you see Ben Browder in Guardians of the Galaxy? No, because I've not seen it yet. Oh, oh never mind then. Whoops. <laughs> we'll keep an eye out he for him. Did he? He didn't play Rocket. I'm trying to throw. Him Although he would have been sandwich. a good Rocket. Well, let me tell him who who he plays. It's not that important because he's or, not even or named. You just not say anything and let Andy watch the movie. Okay. All right. Fine. I thought you already saw oh, it. All right. Never mind. Back to our show. Not the opportunity. Oh, okay. We'll go see it. It's good movie. Well, we plan on. Spoilers. I just said it's a yeah, good movie. Well, what if he, what if he doesn't agree? Well, what if he wasn't sure what he was going to think? Well, then maybe he should have recorded Is It Dawes With Us last night. Well, somebody should have recorded it because mine didn't come out. I God, I hope somebody has a recording because you and I don't. Anyway. Uh, that's going to be bad. Back to uh, to Westworld. And as we as we talked about a little bit, I think this this movie had the seeds in it for a lot of movies that came in the future: The Terminator, Jurassic Park, Aliens. Uh, I think there, there was a lot of stuff that we eventually saw in other movies that this kind of set the tone for. And I'm trying to think in my mind, and I, this isn't something I really did any kind of, you know, uh, gave any thought to until just now. Was there any movie 
before this that was kind of the precursor to it? Or is this, like, at the time, totally, totally original? Any thoughts mm. on that? I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think has any androids gone amok, because uh, Six Mill and Bionic Woman are both after this, with the mm-hmm. Fembot, so that's pretty much the same. I mean, we saw not lifelike androids, but androids similar to this in a couple of episodes of Star Trek, but they never really explored the idea of them running amok. Harry Mudd just had a bunch of his ex-wives around, didn't he? Hardcore Fenton Mud? Yeah. Hardcore Fenton Mud, what have you been doing? Oh. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, this may lose through time a little of the credit that it should get for being truly groundbreaking. Mm. I mean, the, the whole, what's his name? There's, there's Isaac Asimov's robot trilogy. Hmm. I don't. Yeah, but that, but that was still just in hmm. print. It was never. I don't remember it being. Well, there was the one Outer Limits. I don't know. There, there might have been something on the Outer Limits. I was just gonna go Outer Limits of the Twilight old, old... Zone. Yeah, but but that was still. Close. Not as big. Closest I, I would thing say. I can think of on the Twilight Zone was the Living Doll episode. Hmm. But that's certainly not a. Yeah. Or, or even the uh, the dummy, where it starts ordering oh, yeah. uh, Jackie Coogan around. Not Jackie Coogan, Jackie Cooper. But, uh, but I think as far as movies go, I can't think of anything that kind of hit on the same themes as this. And there may have been some concession to special effects at that time, because even though the special effects in this aren't anything groundbreaking, uh, I find it even harder to think of how they would do this in, say, the 1950s. They they may not even be able to handle the uh, you know the clever mask removing scene or the horse laying upside down. Yeah, on the they. <laughs> Sorry, just keep going back to the horse. I think the only special effect that didn't really work was his when you saw his point of view shots. Well, when you doing you'll the heat bring yeah, that's fine, but the normal shots were just the blocky vision. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was, it was Tetris vision. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they're trying to tell you that his vision is far superior to anything else, and that, you know, then you, you look through his head and, you know, Tetris vision or Minecraft, whatever it is. <laughs> you know, how, how's he seeing anything like that? How's he, how's he distinguishing anything? Yeah. Michael Crichton foresaw Minecraft. Excellent. Yeah, but, well, um, um, I'm struggling to think, but this this has ultimately ended up being incredibly influential, not only on Crichton for Jurassic Park, but a lot of people have pointed out the similarities to Yul Brynner and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and he does have the... Uh, he just keeps coming, he gets the acid in the face, then he gets set on fire, which was a nice, nice effect. I mean, it was a common effect for Hollywood at the time, a guy getting set on fire and, you know, he's waving around, you know, and then, uh, but he was, the only thing I have to say is, is that later when Yul Brenner comes back again and now he's a big charge cinder, his <laughs> clothes were still intact when he fell down. And I was like, no, man. Yeah, really, it was only <laughs> so his skin like, that was burnt yeah, up. 
<laughs> you went up like a Roman candle. You should not have any clothing left on you. But I was like, eh, yeah, we, suspension of disbelief. We don't need a naked Yul Brenner, and we also don't need his mouth speaker doing anything untoward, Bill. <laughs> I don't know why okay. your mind goes to these places. <laughs> oh, it was a nice touch at the end when, um, when our hero, Mr. Benjamin, is um, he finds the girl that's chained up. Mm-hmm. And he's giving her water, and she's like, no, no, and bzz, bzz, he, turns out she's yeah, he a robot. He's a guest that he's rescuing. He gets his chance to play the you know, the, hand, the hero, only he totally screws it up. <laughs> only to have that taken away from him as well. Now, just, just looking at the uh, the Wikipedia page, we're talking about the uh, point of view shot, and it mentions that this was the first feature film to use digital image processing to pixelate photography to simulate an Android point of view. All right. It seems... Seems like a very, very mm. specific first. Did they ever use digital image imaging processing to pixelate photography to show some other kind of point of view? I don't know. Hmm. But I guess you know this. This is a you know y- you do have to, I guess, give some leeway on the special effects for the time that it came out in. You know, there was no CGI then. There wasn't a big budget to really you know, do any kind of uh, claymation or anything. You know, you, you aren't bringing in Harryhausen to do this. And no, nor should they have, because I don't think that type of special effect would have worked on, a, on androids. Uh, but overall, you know, the feel of the movie, as far as the directing goes, though, I have to say, it doesn't, when, I, when you watch it on your TV, it feels like that's where it belongs. You don't sit there watching this on the TV and say, Boy, if only I could have seen this on, you know, on big screen with the, you know, with the, the gigantic scope. You, it doesn't feel like you need that. It feels effectively like a quality TV movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's where I first saw it. So that, yeah, I, I never, I never, you know, thought, wow, man, if I could only see this on the big screen, because it's, it scared me enough as a little kid. Or it was shocking enough. Mm. What rating was this? Don't know. Let's see. Well, on the poster, it does not have a rating. The poster, by the way, Neil Adams. Is it? Yes. Because there's a lot of different posters for Westworld. Which one was Adams? It's it's the it's one where uh, it's 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 on the on the Wikipedia page. It shows the Yul Brenner robot is front and center, and he's got the bottom half of his face removed. All ah, right. Oh yeah. And at the center of his body, there's a circle where you see. Uh, James Brolin and Richard Benjamin. The bottom half of his body, you actually see the technicians in the room working. And then it says, you know, where nothing can possibly go wrong. And wrong is kind of coming, you know, dropping <laughs> off the page. Oh, I did not know that was Neil Adams. I did not either. Oh, but looking at it, I can see it. Mm. Yeah, I like um, oh, wow. Yulbrin's other hand has all the skin ripped off the fingers. That's a nice touch. That's quite good. Yeah, that's a brilliant poster. Well done, Neil. No, Neil. Neil was known for some quality artwork in his day. Mm. Okay. Any anything else that we should hit on with this? Um, I was just reading some of the stuff here as well, um, saying that um, Yul Brenner agreed to play the role for only seventy five thousand because he needed the money. Kind of sad when you think of an an actor of his stature. Yeah. That that should be the case, but you know, I, I guess it is what it is, unfortunately. So I'm just 
In the scene, MGM had a bad reputation yeah, among filmmakers. In recent years, directors as diverse as Robert Altman, Blake Edwards, Stanley Kubrick, Fred Zinnerman, and Sam Peckinpah had complained bitterly about their treatment there. There were too many stories of unreasonable pressure, arbitrary script changes, inadequate post-production, and cavalier recruiting, recutting of the final film. Nobody who had a choice made a picture at Metro, but then we didn't have a choice. Dan Melnick assured us that we would not be subjected to the usual MGM treatment. In large part, he made good on that promise. And that was, I guess that was a statement by Crichton. So that's mm. interesting. Yeah. All right. So uh, I guess now's the point where we place this up against the scale. Jaws ranking is an all-time classic, nearly a perfect movie, going to go down forever. Uh, Jaws 2, really, really solid, worthy of reviewing, but not quite in that classic level. Jaws 3, watchable, enjoyable, but nothing more. Jaws 4, a bad movie. Where do you rank this movie? Let's start with you, Dr. Bill. I am going to say Jaws. It is Jaws. Um, for the first time I saw it, and even I rewatched it la- last night, and I watched the whole thing, you know, and and I had no, there was no, oh, when's this going to be over? I mean, it, it's it's just, it's, I don't want to say cheap, but it's effective in its storytelling. There's not, and I was just reading some stuff here real quick that it was saying that that the first that Crichton said the first cut was really long. And it had some boring stuff, and he cut, you know, he cut stuff out to make it more streamlined and everything. So, which I'd be interested to see, possibly saw some of that stuff. But uh, I'm, yeah, I'm Jaws all the way on this. All right, Sir Andy. Uh, I I think so as well. Yeah, I mean, I was originally thinking I was going to have to do two personal ratings, and say personally, this is Jaws. But really, it's probably Jaws too. But I'm going to go with Bill. I think this 80 minutes, it fur rattles along. It was incredibly influential on other films. It may not, by today's standards, have the same level of special effects or the same level of attention to detail in terms of the cast uh, and how it treats its women. Some people may have a different an issue with that. But I thought this was a solid, entertaining, typically 70s science fiction movie. Well, I agree. I think uh, the one weakness in your description just there is to say, if you if you call it typical, then you're saying it's not standing above out among the crowd. Uh, at least that's the thought that comes to my mind. So I, I just question the use of that word. But I'm thinking of the science fiction movies of this era, and what I consider it is to be the Charlton Heston era of science fiction, mm. between Planet of the Apes and Omega Man and Soylent Green. Uh, you also have Silent Running. Not too long from now, you have Logan's Run. Yep. Yeah, those, those are the science fiction movies of the time. I think this holds a place with any of them. Uh, in my own personal rankings and opinion, Planet of the Apes kind of steps out beyond all the others. But this one, in my mind, is probably next in the in the line. So. I, I'm a little stuck on, do I, you know, how much of this is nostalgia for me? And I do see some, you know, not shortcuts, but shortcomings in 
the way it was made, but it's more a, a uh, more part of the time it was made in. And I think, well, if they had the budget now and they made this as a movie, as opposed to the TV series, which they were, which they're doing, would it be a better movie ultimately? And I'm not sure it would, even though they could really ramp up the special effects and everything. So when I go back and forth on it, I'm going to give it a low-level Jaws. I'm putting it above Jaws 2, but I'm not putting it at the absolute peak. You know, it's not going to rank in my top 10 or 20 of all time, but it is on my list of favorite films of all time, just the same. Mm. So it's going to get a Jaws ranking, uh, but it's it's one of those, should it be Jaws or should it be Jaws 2? And I'm just going to fall on the Jaws side of things. If if that ramble makes any sense at all. No, I I think I agree with you. I think it's a lower level Jaws, yeah, but it's still it's still entertaining. It still works as a piece of entertainment. And in my mind, it still falls yeah. as an all time classic, and that's why it goes into the Jaws ranking. Yeah, kind of like what um, uh, peeking behind the curtain, like last night we were with we did a recording for an. Another movie, and one of the guests said that is peeking its nose in, 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 into Jaws, or maybe you're sticking your toe into into the shark's mouth. Yes. It's just crossing that line. Yeah, and I kind of agree with that. Mm-hmm. So that's the review, the Is It Yours review of Westworld. Let us know if you agree, if you disagree. If there's any other movies you'd like to cover or like to have covered, Podcast at gmail.com. I also would love to get some iTunes ratings. That would be cool. Uh, But thank you for listening, and thank you, Andy and Bill, for coming on. And and thank you, Eleven, for yawning. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. See ya. Sloppy with your drink. Get this boy a bib. Say something, boy. I said you talk too much. Why don't you make me shut up? Your move.